and welcome to this episode of Equally Funny. I'm your host, Kate Rogan. This is a podcast where we take a topic related to social justice, break it down, and hopefully make you laugh along the way. Joining me today is Audrey Schiffauer. Welcome, Audrey. Hi, Kate. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so excited to have you on. want to tell the audience a little bit about you. So I'm going to read this bio that you shared with me. Uh, so Audrey is an improviser in Chicago, Illinois. Uh, as opposed to Chicago somewhere else, but I'm glad that you specified. Um, so you're here in Chicago, Illinois. Great. Yes, and correct. Is, great. And is so excited <laughs> to get back in the game. I am too. Like, I can't wait to go see shows and like do ridiculous things with friends. Yes. Um, the pandemic has put all, all of Audrey's comedy plans up in the air, but you can hopefully see her on Chicago's comedy stages soon. Uh, you are originally from Buffalo, New York, and you hang on to your hometown by circling the wagons for the Buffalo Bills. All right. OK. It's a decision, I guess. This is our year, Kate. OK. All right. Um, <laughs> our listeners can find and follow Audrey on Instagram at oddgepodge 71 and on Twitter at oddgepodge 6 We'll include links to those in the show notes so everybody can find you. Uh, thanks so much for joining again. Good to have oh, you here. Thank you. This is going to be great. I'm I'm yeah. so excited. Yeah. So before we started recording, we both um, were talking about how we had been out to bars last night and mm -hmm. we're scre screaming at our friend, um, which really does feel like a, a pre-pandemic activity that I haven't really participated in recent recently. Yeah. Uh, My voice hurt for the last time, for the first time this last weekend. I woke up and I was like, oh, I just started screaming in bars again. And it mm -hmm. came back so naturally for me. It was... <laughs> <laughs> it was like I never left. And also, I have I feel like all of us developed room tone voice over the pandemic, you know, where mm -hmm. all of our voices now blend in perfectly with the sounds of music and other people talking at bars. And so everything I was like, if any of my friends are listening, I only heard half of what you said. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. Yeah. So so I was like, I was on a first date. And, <gasps> OK. Uh, and, uh, and it was fine. He was lovely. I don't think there's anything there. Okay. Um, but um, is this how you're telling him? Yeah, I haven't, I haven't broken this home yet. I'm just gonna be like, look, I couldn't, I couldn't get up the nerve to actually do it in person because I'm a coward. But um, no, uh, no, I think we were ultimately on the same page. Okay, that's um, that's easy. Yeah, yeah, it's it's much easier. Um, but yeah, so I was like trying to listen to him, and I was like, uh, shit, we're it, you know what? It's fine. I'm sure that those three words that were in the middle of that sentence don't really matter anyway. It's totally cool. Yeah, right. And unless they were "I love you," then that would be bad, and that would be a really good reason to never see this guy again. Right. That that would have been a red flag. I don't I don't think that happened though. Um, okay. Good. And good. Good. Yeah. 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 I think uh, I think he <laughs> was can, just. We can, we, we're both good humans, maybe just not together. <laughs> oh, sure. That's totally yeah. fair. And hey, we have to go put ourselves out there, go on dates. And we'll we will have shitty nights at bars with our own friends and mm -hmm. nights that we don't have fun. And that's just that's life. And I'm very yeah. excited to I'll take the bad with the good if it's not oh my a God. pandemic. Oh, my God. Seriously, I'm, yeah. I'm ready to have some like mediocre nights at bars and complain about loud music. Yes. Again. And like a, buy some $18 cocktail that is like mm -hmm. just OK. I can't okay. wait to do that. So. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That'll be great. Oh, maybe we'll do it together. Audrey, we're going to make then. friends. Okay. Okay. Cool. Sounds good. <laughs> okay. Great. 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 Um, so we should probably leave now. We don't even need to do this. Thank podcast. you everybody so much for listening. <laughs> Kate, they're going to go to lunch. <laughs> You're welcome. Yeah. Goodbye. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but yeah, we will have to grab drinks at some point. Um, yes. But let's go ahead and dive right in. Today we're talking toxic masculinity and whew, it's a topic, isn't it? <laughs> Yes, our notes page is long. Okay, yes, yes. <laughs> we've, done, cover. <laughs> we've done a lot of work on the show outline. And I feel like similar to a lot of our other episodes, like just have to put the caveat at the top, like we are not going to be able to cover everything about toxic masculinity in this 45 minute to an hour long podcast. But we do hope to present an overview, give you some history, and then talk through some like current implications around toxic toxic masculinity and then give folks places where they can learn more or talk about our own and talk about our own journeys sort of with the topic. Um, but I think it's always helpful to like make sure that we're on the same page and that our audience is on the same page as us, our dear listeners. Um, so let's start with the segment that I call Let's Get Definitional. Um, and so 
it starts with like a little multiple choice quiz that I make all of my co-hosts participate in. So uh, welcome, Audrey, to this okay. pop quiz. Yeah, I'm, I'm prepared. Okay, great. Great, great, great. <laughs> so um, when uh, thinking about toxic, toxic masculinity, which of the following three options do you think is the actual definition of the term? Is toxic masculinity A, a cocktail served at your local gay bar to help spot the heteros, comprised of day-old warm Coors Light, bottom shelf scotch, and a splash of out-of-context rage. So that's option A. Okay. 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 Is toxic masculinity B, an underrated 80s punk rock group who had such classic hits as it's everyone else's fault that I can't deal with my emotions, I can't wear this pink shirt because gender bullshit, and the underrated banger called Who Do I Yell At When a Woman Doesn't Want to Hook Up With Me? Okay. Good one. Okay. Okay. In the running. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Excellent. Um, or is toxic masculinity uh, option C, a specific model of manhood geared towards dominance and control? It's a manhood that views women and LGBTQ plus people as inferior, sees sex as an act not of affection, but domination, and which valorizes violence as the way to prove one's self to the world. Toxic masculinity aspires to toughness, but is in fact an ideology of living in fear. The fear of ever seeming soft, tender, weak, or somehow less than manly. This insecurity is perhaps the most stalwart defining feature of toxic masculinity. Okay. All three of these seem feasible, but I am going to have to go with C. Oh my gosh. Everybody wins this quiz. It's great. Oh, wow. It's You only have geniuses on the podcast. That's Clearly why. I do. I'm not. Uh, they're all really equally good answers, but um, it is option C. They are equally good answers, though. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I, I pulled that definition from um, Amanda Marcotte's uh, Salon article, and I'll provide a link to it in the show note. But show notes. But I thought it was just like a really good sort of summation of what we're going to be talking about today in terms of definitions. I think so too. Kind of every facet of how toxic masculinity affects the man that exudes it. I guess. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um. So like. Before we get into sort of like history, like where the term toxic masculinity and the concept toxic masculinity originated, I thought it would also be helpful to do like a quick primer or um, sometimes as we call it on this podcast, a premiere, because we're like, is it primer? Is it primer? We'll go with premiere. We're going to do a premiere on gender as a construct. I like it. Okay, great. Um, And this is really just to help sort of like set the stage for what we're going to be talking about today. Um, and so we absolutely can and should devote a whole episode to this concept around gender being a construct, but to help center our discussion today, we're just going to talk briefly, um, or I'm going to talk a little bit briefly on how masculinity and femininity are made up and or constructed by cultures. Like we just make this shit up, um, For years, scientists have repeatedly demonstrated that there is essentially no difference between the brains of men, women, and non-binary folks. We're essentially the same sort of like bags of meat with different variations of sex organs, secondary sex characteristics, and, and hormones. So while there are most definitely biological differences, the divide between those differences isn't as huge or like irreconcilable as we've been led to believe by the culture. Um, thinking through like some of the most like popular kind of like self-help gendery books from the past like 20 or 30 years, like men are from Mars, women are from Venus comes to mind. And it's like, oh, God, like that is just not helpful. Like we're, we're all we're all fucking from Earth. OK, yeah. like, let's just agree. <laughs> but uh, so while there are like some biological differences, how those differences and variations are assigned meaning to make up masculine, feminine, and neutral characteristics, and then how those uh, meanings are prescribed onto people who live inside of a culture is how gender is constructed. And uh, honestly, it's shifted like crazy over, over the years. It's not a constant as some people would sort of like propose. It's shifted like a motherfucker. Um, any questions so far, Audrey, as you take a sip of coffee? Sorry. No, no, no. That's okay. Uh, that makes sense okay. to me. And I agree. It's very different now than it was 200 years ago or a yes. thousand years ago or yeah. yeah. So yeah. 
more evidence that we're just making it up. <laughs> yeah. We just keep we just keep inventing this. Um, yeah. yeah. And so like t- thought like a quick example would be like we can talk about fashion, right? Like fashion is a place where we can observe sort of like how gender norms have shifted over the years, like pretty demonstratively. That's not a word, but I'm going to leave it in. Demonstrate a premiere. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Great. Okay. You, you got it. You it's got a placeholder it. word. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um. So, like, when we think about fashion, like, we we all sort of have, like, especially in this in the in the U.S. context, remember how like a bunch of middle aged white dudes used to wear powdered wigs and like he shoes with a little bit of a heel on them, just mm-hmm. like a kitten heel. A kitten you heel. Know? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and um. Well, wait. I, I mean, like, I oh, I overstated, but we probably don't actually remember it because it was like a very long time ago, but. Mm-hmm. Like fashion and styling is one of those things where you can watch the gender norms shift over time. And in some parts of the world today, even still like men in skirts is totally normal. Like Scotland, some um, nations in Asia and the Pacific Island uh, region, uh, such as Bhutan and Fiji. And then we also have like Harry Styles and Jaden Smith out here just rocking beautiful clothes. Yeah, Um, and they look great. mm -hmm. And then we can also talk sort of about how um behaviors attributes or like characteristics are also typically assigned as masculine or feminine in the current culture today so like logic aggression dominance are often associated with masculinity whereas cooperation community intuition and emotions are often associated with femininity and the truth is that we all have all of these things inside of us but culture teaches us which attributes are appropriate and acceptable for which genders to sort of like perform. Yeah. And, you know, I like the feminine ones on that list. Uh, if I had to yeah. choose a list to be given at birth, it would be the feminine ones. But uh, <laughs> ideally, we would all get to have all of them. <laughs> yes. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Like, cooperation, intuition, emotion. <laughs> mm-hmm. I feel like I feel good about my list. Yeah, yeah me too. <laughs> me too. It's not accurate. But we'll take yeah. it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so while we while we sort of like have this are holding this idea that like gender, masculinity, femininity is all sort of constructed or kind of like made up. It doesn't mean that those um, sort of uh, characteristics or the ways that we have learned about how to be masculine or feminine aren't sort of um, that they don't have real impacts and that they don't sort of feel deeply important to us as components of our identities and how we operate in the world. So I'm thinking about kind of like times when I engage in particular activities that really feel like they activate and like tune into the feminine part of me. Um, I'm thinking about how I do pole dancing as a hobby. And when I engage in that activity, it does tap into this feeling of sort of like power and sensuality, vulnerability, beauty, and like a little bit of sort of like wildness that to me definitely feels connected to my femininity. But I don't think those feelings are only available to me because I identify as being a woman or because my assigned sex at birth matches my gender expression, right? Like, Mm -hmm. I think many of those characteristics have been coded as feminine to me by the culture I grew up in. And um, pole dancing in a studio, like in a safe space that allows me to tap into those feelings and move in a way that I may not feel sort of like comfortable doing in my day to day life is like a great way for me to feel connected to that femininity. But it's not as if someone who identifies as a man or non-binary, like can't tap into those same feelings doing that exact same activity. And it's possible that those sort of feelings aren't coded as being connected to femininity in that person's brain. Right. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. First of all, very cool that you do pole dancing. That's fucking awesome. I but, missed it a lot this past year. Yes, you didn't yeah. install. Did, were you, did you ever well, consider putting one in your apartment? Full disclosure, I'm recording in my uh, closet in my second bedroom and I'm going to open this door. <laughs> so I can see. Oh, no, you can't see it. But here for me. <laughs> An iron. Nice. <laughs> yeah, exactly. There is a pole. Yes, Kate. <laughs> Hell yeah. Oh, my God. So, yes, you did. That's amazing. Clearly, I've been using it a lot because the ironing board is just like next to it. So <laughs> everyone, it was so far away. There's plenty of room. <laughs> but yeah, I totally agree. Like just because maybe in principle, something is not objectively feminine or masculine. We're we're not able to just shut that off if we've been told it our whole entire life. And, you know, say what you want about 
kids toys and all that stuff but it's like i will always be like dolls are girls trucks are boys and not in a way where i won't buy them for my own kids or or anything like that but that's just like what my brain does even mm-hmm. though that it doesn't true isn't true doesn't mean anything i'll always have that association you can't right, just shut like, it off right like we've been indoctrinated into it our entire lives so it's like it's natural well i i, I don't want to call it like natural but it's like automatic that that sort of yes. like co- coded masculine feminine or like boy girl stuff has been implanted into our brains it's the ocean we swim in yes because right, we didn't birth. have it when we were born yeah but then we yeah. just get told it over and over and by the time we're old enough to figure that out it's kind of too late to undo it yeah, yeah. <laughs> so. there's, there's a lot of there's a lot of unlearning oh quick plug for unlearning a, uh, a podcast which is by felicia mcleod um oh yes sorry. yeah no no <laughs> everybody She's should great. listen to that yeah um Agreed. Okay. So we've sort of like covered how gender is a construct and then also how we are shaped by society and culture to feel kind of deeply bought into those constructs of masculinity and femininity. And so now I want to talk a little bit about like how toxic masculinity fits into all of this. Um, So if gender and the characteristics that we typically associate with men and masculinity is shaped by the culture, then toxic masculinity is really a subset of behaviors and characteristics coded as masculine that are undesirable, harmful, injurious, which typically are observed in men, but which are not exclusively sort of like limited to men. But because of the ways that ideals of masculinity are both shaped by the culture and then also prescriptive to the people who live in that culture, meaning that the culture tells men how to achieve being men through ideals of masculinity, behaviors associated with toxic masculinity are and their impacts are more often observed in men, both at the individual and then at the collective level. I should say their impacts are felt by everybody. Like we're we all yes. like we all suffer from the shit, <laughs> but like the traits and the characteristics and sort of like the behaviors are more typically observed in men. Mm-hmm. But because we now know that masculinity and femininity are made up, these aren't characteristics that are unshapeable or innate to men, but rather things that can change when we begin to question how masculinity and traditional ideals of manhood can be injurious to women non-binary folks and men themselves like this isn't a great system for men to live in either Mm -hmm. um so like i said we need to devote like a whole episode to how gender is constructed by the culture we live in and how it's performed by us in our day-to-day existence and also how the impacts of the gender construct are very real especially for folks who are viewed as transgressing gender normative behaviors and expressions not to mention how things like race, class, sexuality, ability, and other factors influence options for how men seek to achieve and perform masculinity within specific cultural contexts, while also observing that the overarching standard for masculinity is rooted in a white, straight, cis, able-bodied Western ideal. But that's a quick premiere on uh, gender as a construct for oh, the purposes. premiere. Yeah, sure, yeah, sure. Yeah. Oh, you okay. get it. I understand that. Yeah, now I get why yeah, yeah. we went over that. Yeah, cool, cool, cool. <laughs> you get it. You get yeah. the term. Yeah, yeah. And I get the uh, gist of this shitty, uh, shitty thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's just, it's really, it's like, it's huge. It's overarching. It feels overwhelming to think about. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it's really important for us to sort of like set the stage for like, there isn't an essential male or female. Mm -hmm. Right. Like it's been set up as this binary by the culture, but we all have access to all of these things. Um, We've just been told by society and culture how we are supposed to behave based on, I don't know, sex organs, mostly. Yes. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's too bad, (laughs) but it's it's, there. It really is a shame. It's a shame. There's not a right way to be. A woman, there's not a right way to be a man, but we yeah. definitely think there is. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And yeah. we punish people who aren't. Yeah. Yay! Well, thanks everyone for coming to. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah, exactly. And we're done. Um, and we're done on we'll, that horrible note. We'll leave you with that depressing note. Yeah. Yeah. Kate and I are going to lunch. Yeah, exactly. We got to get a drink. Um, <laughs> scream at each other in a loud yeah. bar again. Just let the rage come. We're gonna out. be like, ladies, there's no music on yet. <laughs> we'll just have our maximum volume turned up just in case <laughs> like, I just have some things I need to work out yeah. <laughs> I'm upset <laughs> this sounds fun yeah I like it I like it yeah <laughs> um 
Okay. Uh, so I know I've been talking a lot, but I'm going to keep talking a little bit more because I um, want to talk a little bit about sort of like some historical context, like where did the concept of tex- toxic masculinity originate from? Um, and then eventually I will let you speak more, Audrey. I promise. I can um, wait. Okay. Okay, cool. Um, <laughs> so I think it's probably fair to say that like toxic masculinity has been sort of like happening forever, at least since there have been masculine ideals and men sort of like striving to achieve and perform them. But uh, according to this article um, in The Atlantic from Michael Salter, and I'll include a link to it in the show notes, um, and this has also been confirmed from several of the other sources, the term toxic masculinity actually arose out of the mythopoetic men's movement of the 1980s. Are you, I'm, I assume you're familiar, Audrey, you already know, I don't need to tell you what the mythopoetic no, no, let's men's just movement is. The next like four or five bullets. And I think that we are good. Okay. I'm sure everyone listening knows what that is, but Absolutely. just in case there's someone who doesn't know what it is, explain it for them. Not me. Okay. Okay. I know because I know what it is, but for someone else. Okay. Yeah. I, you, you're up on it. I know yeah, it. I am for sure. Um, so um, <laughs> I did some research, uh, listeners, so you don't have to bother. And here are some of the gems about the mythopoetic uh, men's movement of the 1980s. Perfect. So um, the general theory of the movement, it's was that um, men in modern societies had lost touch with their deep masculinity which sounds like some sort of dick joke, but I digress. <laughs> um, anyway, uh, deep masculinity is was sort of contrasted in the movement with hypermasculinity or toxic masculinity. Um, at the height of its popularity, men would participate in retreats where they would engage in discussions and different activities. A lot of the activities uh, seem like they were appropriated from other cultures. They would do things like sweat lodges, drumming, and other activities to sort of help them access this sense of deep masculinity mm-hmm. that had been lost to them because of the pressures of modern society. Um, and uh, I should also note that, like, it does appear that, like, the majority of the people participating in these retreats were mostly white middle class men. Yeah, um, I'm a, I, you know, I didn't want to assume, but that's what I assumed. That, that tracks. That <laughs> I was tracks. like, oh, cultural appropriation must be a bunch of white people. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yep, yep, yep. Um, so, like, I, I, the effort was, like, for them to sort of, like, or it was all in, like, an effort for them to sort of, like, reaccess their sense of deep masculinity and hopefully become sort of, like, better, more secure men. And, like, on the surface, this doesn't sound like a bad thing, right? Like, I totally get wanting to, like, run away to the woods to spend some time in the company of other women, talk about the pressures of modern life, participate in some collective healing, and maybe finally get my ass into a hot spring, which I have never done before. I need to travel. I always fi- tend Me to neither. find cold water. Okay. Yeah. This is we something else we can do together. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Perfect. Wait, you do have a trip coming up, though. Aren't you going to Alaska? Yes, Are I'm going to Alaska. There? I don't know. I Well, I can't go in one now because you're not going to be there, and we have I'm to sure. experience our okay. first one together. Okay. So... If I find one there, I'll let you know you can fly to Alaska okay. and I'll wait for you. Great. I'll, uh, I'll book a flight. No worries. Um, okay, awesome. I'll see you there on Tuesday. Sounds good. Okay. Okay. Cool, cool, cool. <laughs> um, so like on the surface, this doesn't seem like a bad thing, right? Like I, groups of men getting together, trying to talk through the pressures of modern life and sort of reconnect both with each other and then hopefully come out like feeling like more secure, empowered men on the other side of it. Yeah. Right? And also understanding that that is what the point of the trip was to be a more secure person because so much of you know insecurity plays such a role in toxic masculinity so yeah yeah yeah. seems like a good Um, thing yeah but here's here's the uh here's Uh, here's where i pull the rug out sorry i already knew this but the the listeners who didn't know this will be disappointed yes yes exactly audrey was already (laughs) fully read into the mythopoetic (laughs) men's movement we all know this she puts it on her profile yeah. <laughs> um, so uh, while it sounds good, critics of the movement point out how the concept of the deep masculine is very problematic and only serves to sort of like reinforce this idea that there are essential gender differences between men and women, completely ignoring non-binary folks. Right. Mm-hmm. 
it blames men's troubles on the collective societal emasculation of men and quite often, surprise, surprise, blames feminism for it. Essentially, the mythopoetic men's movement serves to try to help men who feel insecure by the shifting nature of gender norms by putting them back in touch with a sense of deep masculinity, which is still ultimately rooted in patriarchal and prescriptive ideas of what it means to be a man. Yeah. And that's too bad because usually when you're uncomfortable with something, it means that it's because it's like affecting you personally and you should lean into why you're uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. And this feels more like a movement to be like, oh, oh, are you uncomfortable? Don't worry. We have a solution that isn't actually like just you unlearning gender roles. It's like Mm -hmm. moving away and making this like kind of new de-masculinity gender role that Mm -hmm. feels not as bad as toxic masculinity. But yeah, it does. It doesn't feel like it asks men to lean into like, oh, well, why do shifting gender roles make you uncomfortable personally? And like, how why don't you think about that? This feels kind of like a an excuse or almost. Yeah, yeah, Yeah. no, definitely. Yeah, didn't, didn't did really work. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, no, didn't didn't fix it. We're still here. We still got yeah. we still got issues. We yeah. still have toxic masculinity. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um. So that's that's sort of like the origination of the term toxic masculinity. So it originated sort of out of that movement. But since then, the term has morphed and been shaped by both kind of academia, masculinities research, and then by the broader culture too. I think that there are a lot of like think pieces about toxic masculinity and contemporary impacts. Um, And for that, I'm actually going to pass it over to Audrey and finally let you talk. Oh my God. Are you sure, Kate, that you don't want to do this section as well? No, No, I'm really looking forward to listening. I'm just kidding. (laughs) I feel bad that everyone on the podcast is like, Jesus, Audrey, relax. No. Okay, (laughs) so what is the present day impact of toxic masculinity? So, Kate, as you know, a lot of this started out as just like personal opinion for me. Like I just did like a free write and I was like, wow, uh, I have a lot of opinions about this. But ultimately what it made me realize is like toxic masculinity impacts like a lot of different aspects of men's lives and then a lot of different aspects of like society's lives. Like obviously impact like we're all hurt by it. Like I like that saying the patriarchy hurts everybody, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, But I think the first impact that is felt by men is when they're young. I think toxic masculinity um, in the culture encourages parents to raise kids with gender norms, like starting at a very young age. And it encourages boys to not access their emotions, to not express their emotions. Um, They get immediately told that things like, you know, emotions like sadness or being vulnerable are feminine. Um, And then they also at the same time are being told that they don't want to be feminine, which Mm -hmm. like obviously has a lot of homophobia intertwined in it as well. Like, I don't want to act like it's just toxic masculinity because I'm sure every man listening to this podcast, you know, can relate to being like just having homophobia at a very young age, you know, or Mm -hmm. um, anything like that. Everybody can, honestly, Mm -hmm. we're such a fucked up country. Everybody, (laughs) everybody gets it at a young age. Yeah. But um, yeah, so I really think that because parents feel encouraged to raise their kids with very traditional gender norms and tell boys they're not allowed to cry and they're not allowed to express emotions, like once kind of like what we were talking about with um, like masculine and feminine characteristics, I feel like boys get told that at a young age and then they accept it. But then ultimately there's a shift where they just start to believe it for themselves. Mm -hmm. And then they, as a person do not want to express their emotions. And um, the only emotion that it seems like men are allowed to express is anger. And by allowed to, I mean, like we have I kind of don't think twice if I see a man yelling because Mm -hmm. I think we're all just so used to like, oh, well, men get angry and like, you know, men are aggressive and all that Mm -hmm. stuff. And I don't even blink usually. And I have to paraphrase it because I can't remember and I wish I could attribute it to who said it. But there's this very funny tweet that I saw that was like men are geniuses. They like convinced us all that anger isn't a real emotion so Mm -hmm. that when they get angry, we still don't see them as emotional emotional creatures right yes like like, yes and it's like i feel like there have been times where i have just started to cry and someone has been like oh get over it or like oh stop like stop crying you know or it's like god forbid i ever cried in like a meeting at work or Mm -hmm. something like that Mm -hmm. but men i feel like 
are told that they're allowed to yell and be aggressive and express their anger. And we don't fault them for it the same way that we fault people for crying or Mm -hmm. showing other vulnerable emotions. So it's like it's weird. It's like they get a pass, Mm -hmm. you know, for being super angry. And obviously that impacts people, because another part of what I was going to say is that Toxic masculinity, I think, is just so ingrained in culture that we accept a lot of this toxic behavior from men. And we accept that um, men sometimes are able to take responsibility for undoing this in themselves. So Mm -hmm. we think about it's it is white men specifically. But we think about all the excuses that we make for them, how common um, abuse is in relationships where the men is the the man is the abuser, how common verbal abuses and again with the yelling and Mm -hmm. you know just like sexual assault things like that like we have all definitely accepted that as a culture and i'm glad we're moving away from you know like ladies don't wear a ponytail carry your keys Mm -hmm. you know people are starting to be like why don't we go back to (laughs) when this guy thought it was okay to assault people and undo that yeah (laughs) yeah it's you know it's like it's not my fault if i get assaulted it's Mm -mm. the man's fault for assaulting me but Mm -hmm. um we have a really really hard time with that and i think part of it is at maybe this is like conjecture but i think part of it is we just accept that that's how men behave and that no matter what yeah there will always be men that do those things well yeah and i think that like you're you've, you've brought up like so many things right and like one from like how we raise boys right and the skills that we do or don't encourage the development of, particularly when it comes to dealing with difficult emotions, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I think that parents, first of all, I think as a non-parent, let me tell you about what parents The think. same thing. I'm yeah. like, here's what we tell parents to do. I'm like yeah. years away from having children, but yeah. yeah. <laughs> but like, um, I do think that like most parents are very well-intentioned, but we're also all products of the society that we have grown up in and the culture that we have grown up in. And that impacts the differences in how we raise and treat people that are assigned female and male at birth, right? Mm -hmm. Like it it inevitably does. And then even if we raised children in like this, even if parents were perfect, right? Mm -hmm. They still exist in a broader society. Children still interact with other children. They still interact with other adults etc and so we don't i don't think that like the society in general or our culture in general has like a great uh skill set at empowering and teaching boys how to deal with their emotions then we also prescribe like women's gender norms onto young girls and prescribe sort of dealing with men's lack of skill in navigating emotions right we expect women to pick up that emotional labor and i think mm-hmm. they're going to talk about emotional labor later um sorry to to no, um, no. to ruin the surprise no <laughs> and then okay. um and then i think it's also like yeah we do collectively as a society accept certain behaviors from men which are harmful injurious and dismiss it as like well, there's nothing that we can do about this. Boys are just going to be boys. Men will just be men. This is just like an immutable thing that we can't shift or change when that isn't true, right? Throughout history, we have seen how definitions of masculinity and femininity have shifted and changed, and we can shift them. But by not holding men accountable for this behavior and not connecting it to larger sort of like social norms, we like uh, remove some accountability, but then also don't connect it to how culture impacts all of us, right? And how, so yeah, I feel like now I'm just talking. No, no, this is actually exactly what I was going to say as another point is I liked this one article that we read that was saying that like, toxic masculinity is different than like a toxic culture of masculinity like men are not inherently toxic we taught them to be this way and they Mm -hmm. are able to unlearn this behavior um you know and it's and it's like culture is also a construct like all this shit is just made up and Mm -hmm. i was thinking about that too like i was like okay if a seven or eight year old boy does not know how to express their emotions i'm not like that little kid's a monster (laughs) and like is a and is a toxic male you know but it's like But if a 35 year old man doesn't know how to express them, then I make less excuses for them. And I was kind of like, where's the divide? You know, like Mm. we were all idiots when we were 15 or 16. Like I when can we expect people to unlearn these behaviors? I'm not talking about like actually doing harmful things to other people. I'm talking about like 
things that maybe only affect themselves, like expressing their emotions or like mm-hmm. being vulnerable. Like I would not expect a little boy who was raised with those gender norms to understand how to do that. So it's kind of like, when do we ask people to stop kind of like making excuses? And I also think it's like, especially now when there are all these resources and toxic masculinity is like a thing that exists that people know about, you know, Mm -hmm. like, and I know that I would not want to like be in a relationship with someone who didn't know how to express their emotions, you know, but it's like, but when do we ask men to unlearn this stuff you know like when they're 18 when they're this when they're that and there's not actually an answer for that but it was something I was thinking about that's interesting though because I do like I do think about like because I think on the one hand it raises the question of like okay when do we expect men to unlearn this behavior and then I also think about like all the shit that I've had to unlearn Mm -hmm. as a woman and it's like that is a process that's still ongoing but I did it right and I feel like women are because women are more encouraged particularly in contemporary life to like assume more masculine roles like from having a career uh being assertive in the workplace like all of uh, like taking financial control of their own sort of like lives and destinies like this is a skill that women have mm-hmm. been forced these are skills that, and like topics and um traditional gender norms that used to be assigned to men that women have had to learn like over the past 50 mm-hmm. years right but the same hasn't been done for men, right? Like men haven't been encouraged to uh, learn some of like the the work that has typically been done by women. Um, but it's up to them to do it, right? Yes. Yeah. yeah. And like as a white person too, that's so much unlearning and so much forgetting and relearning what I thought was correct when I was growing up. And so much of that is admitting that you're wrong. And that mm-hmm. can be hard for men <laughs> mm-hmm. to do mm-hmm. that. But <laughs> Yeah, you were talking about emotional labor a minute ago, and I definitely think that's something that's really, really interesting. And if I'm sure emotional labor is like a buzz word, so Kate, maybe help me with like the definition of it in case no, people yeah. don't know. But emotional yeah. labor is essentially just like the non like chore, the non physical like labor of being in a relationship, keeping a house together, like, you know, being a social person like mm-hmm. and so emotional labor includes things like you know writing birthday cards remembering important dates managing a calendar like um you know stuff like that and it's mm-hmm. it's not like doing the dishes it's like emotional labor is like you know so many relationships the woman writes every single birthday card to every single extended family member including mm-hmm. not even the ones that are not in her immediate family or you know they make dinner plans and it's like woman in their relationship in a heterosexual relationship knows like what where the address is and what time they have to leave and all the mm-hmm. guy has to do is show up and yep. so and then he's able to equally participate does that sound mm-hmm. right <laughs> yeah no yeah okay. that, that, i think that's i think that's a great summation of of emotional labor and i think it's um it's it, it's like all of the invisible work that goes into mm-hmm. like keeping a family a relationship a society running right and i'm also thinking about like um and i I think we we read this article like the woman was talking about uh, and we'll include a link to it but she was talking about like the emotional labor of like trying to find a cleaning service right Mm -hmm. like for her house and um she was like for my birthday or for mother's day i wanted my husband to figure this out and i'll i won't spoil it but like just the fact that he like called one place thought it was too expensive and then like volunteered to like do some of the house cleaning himself, gave it to her as a gift for Mother's Day. But then ultimately, like he left the kids for her to watch while he went to go clean the bathrooms once on like Mother's Day. Right. And she's like, that's not what I was. That's not what I wanted. I wanted yeah. you to like call all of these places, get different quotes, like think about how it impacts finances and schedules and my ability to like exist in the world sort of thing. Do what I would have done if yeah. I was doing this thing. Yeah. 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 And it's like men aren't incompetent. Like men have full time jobs and men they're You know what I mean? Like it's not this thing of like men are stupid, but Mm -hmm. it's just this thing of like there. And I guess I want to distinguish that not to not to be like, don't worry, men, you we don't think you're stupid, but to be like, it is a different skill. It's not about intelligence. It's not about work ethic, you know, stuff like that. It's about like these things that women are told are important that men are told that they don't have to worry about. And then all of a sudden they're in a relationship where they're supposed to split everything 50, 50 and they like don't understand how to do it. And they've never been held accountable. And like, I feel bad because I think most men in relationships with people that they love 
are obviously well-intentioned and want to help and are just so unprepared. And then it's like the woman's job to like catch them up of Ugh. how to be an equal partner. And it's probably frustrating for both people, you know, mm-hmm. but so, and I remember like that quote that I showed you of the guy that was like earlier in my marriage, he's just talking about oh, a marriage, his marriage. Uh, I recall expecting my wife to praise me after I performed basic caregiving acts or household duties. And he's like, I perceive them as exceptional when it really was just my responsibility. And I feel like that too. Like, I Mm -hmm. feel like I'm like, wow, my guy friend like packed a whole suitcase and didn't forget anything and asked and remembered the cooler that I asked him to bring. Like, he's amazing. He's a Mm -hmm. genius. And it's like, if a woman did this, I would be like, okay, great. Thanks for doing what I asked you to do. Like, (laughs) thank you for being a prepared human. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know. So it's like, it hurts everybody. And it it makes me sad for men because I think the majority of the men that I know don't want to be burdened with this thing to unlearn. But we've essentially told them not to worry about it their whole lives. Mm-hmm. And now they're being held accountable for it. And it's yeah. it's overwhelming. But at the same time, I'm not responsible for doing that emotional labor for any any guy that I know. So yeah. it's like, a weird th- balance. Yeah. And I think the other thing is like. We're all, all overwhelmed, right? Like, but like, yeah at the same time fucking get it together <laughs> Maybe I that's how i feel i'm like both of yeah. these things can be true and it's also yeah. like there's a difference between a guy who's not trying at all mm-hmm. versus a guy where it's like i see you trying and it's the same thing with accessing your emotions like i have a hard time talking about my emotions you know mm-hmm. like i don't i think that's a societal thing but yeah. then it's like especially a thing for men and it's like there's a difference between you know it's like it's almost like once you learn that this exists and once you see it in yourself, I do think you have a responsibility to unlearn it because mm-hmm. it impacts the people around you and it will improve your own life as well. So, yeah, mm-hmm. I think that's like in terms of, I guess, to like wrap up kind of the present day impact, like thoughts is that like we know this thing exists now. And I think if men see these traits in themselves, if they recognize it, they do have a responsibility to try to remedy it the same way that we all have a responsibility to remedy the things in ourselves that harm other people. Mm-hmm. And you're you're not a bad person if you didn't know that this existed or that you don't recognize it. And and I know that it's hard, but it's like, you know, these things hurt other people. And so mm-hmm. you have a responsibility to get your shit together. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Essentially. Yeah, absolutely. And I think like. Also thinking through sort of like. Expanding to like some like broader implications, right? I I think that like. Toxic masculinity is especially prevalent where because some men feel the impacts and insecurity of shifting gender norms, right? Mm-hmm. And not knowing how to or not having uh, sort of like access, knowledge, tools, skills to find other ways to achieve or feel secure in their masculinity in this shifting landscape, right? Mm -hmm. And so they resort to hyper-masculinity a lot of times, Mm -hmm. which can often result in really awful outcomes, right, for people. Like you touched on abuse, violence. I think it's absolutely linked to gun violence, in particular mass shootings, right? And sort of men feeling out of control Mm -hmm. uh, because they have this insecurity. But at the same time, like that can't be on us as like women, as non-gender conforming folks, as uh, Mm -hmm. people of color, like to fix a lot of white men's problems, honestly, right? Yes, and like think of all the people in the world who are insecure and struggle with dealing with their emotions and don't go Mm -hmm. shoot people. Like, you know, like and don't deal with it that way. So yeah, I agree. It's like, I'm not gonna we can't like talking about toxic masculinity we can't act like they didn't learn all this stuff but yeah now it's like there are resources and it's Mm -hmm. 2021 and it's like becoming more and more okay to go to therapy and you Mm -hmm. know like and so figure it out but yeah i agree like hyper masculinity is still very accepted and like it you know and so it can be easier to shift that way Mm -hmm. as well and that yeah that creates some really dangerous people Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know Mm -hmm. if if they make that decision absolutely absolutely Um, well, thank you so much for walking us through contemporary impacts. Anything else that you want to say before I, before we move on to the next segment? I don't think so. No, I honestly think we touched on everything I had. Okay, great. (laughs) It was beautiful. Great. (laughs) Ah, we are crushing it. We did it. it. I know. We're going to get out of here. We're going to get drinks. We're going to go to, yeah. (laughs) 
We're recording this at 8 a.m. Yeah, <laughs> everybody. We are immediately. <laughs> um, so uh, I think that I think that that's like a great sort of like I said, we can't cover everything related to toxic mm-hmm. masculinity in a 45 minute episode. But I do think that that is like a great sort of like overview. What I'd love to talk through now is kind of um, our own journeys, like engaging with toxic masculinity a little bit or like advice for folks who are beginning to learn about these things and maybe some resources or some actions people can take sure um and so i can go first um and i think like wrestling something that came to mind for me was like wrestling with the idea that gender is a construct that like gender roles masculinity and femininity is essentially made up and that we all sort of like perform gender every day through behaviors and actions like that can be a bit of a mind fuck right like when you first start wrestling with the concept and it can raise a lot of questions like who am i what is masculine or feminine like is it okay to like being a woman like why do i shave my legs and armpits like from a heteros perspective like why am i attracted to this guy and not that guy like it, it definitely puts you into a feeling of that insecurity, right? Of like, I don't know Mm -hmm. how I am supposed to operate in this world. I don't know who I am in this world. But it also gives you like, once you move through sort of like that initial kind of like mind fuck stage, it also gives you another tool through which to view society and behavior, right? Like you can begin to observe and then decide what works for you as an individual and how you express or don't express your gender in society. And then when specifically sort of viewing or thinking about uh, toxic masculine behavior, like going through the exercise of thinking about gender as a construct, it gives you another um, yet another tool through which to connect individual behavior to larger systems of power and then begin to question those norms. Right. So like to not just view things like catcalling, sexual harassment, rape violence through the prism of individual behavior but as behaviors that are and like we should say like while there are definitely some women that engage in some of this behavior overwhelmingly violence is perpetrated by men like Mm -hmm. studies upon studies upon studies have have um have proven that but it's it's helpful to not just view these things through the prism of individual behavior but as behaviors that are deeply intertwined with toxic masculinity and manhood. Um, It shortens the distance between us and the person who exhibits toxically masculine behavior and creates a pathway for change by empowering individuals to develop concepts of masculinity that are inclusive and healthy. And it sort of becomes a project that we can all work on then, right? Like Mm -hmm. questioning what I define as masculine or the norms that I have and messages I have absorbed from society um, helps me create more inclusive ideas of of manhood of masculine of gender inclusivity and expression inclusivity across the spectrum um and we still have to do the work to hold like individuals and systems accountable for their behavior right like just questioning isn't enough it's like we need to do the work of holding people accountable for when they exhibit abhorrent behavior and violent behavior and or Mm -hmm. toxically masculine behavior um So I think one thing that I'll include in the show notes is there is an article from uh, Catalyst that uh, is titled Five Ways Every Man Can Challenge the Toxic Culture of Masculinity. And I think it's a good place to start and sort of like a good thing to to have a look at if you're beginning to question these uh, these norms and then a place to donate to. I want to call out uh, the Brave Space Alliance, which is an organization based here in Chicago, which is uh, run by LGBTQ uh, folks and primarily serves um, the uh, people of color within that community and particularly trans folks. And I think that the LGBTQ community and maybe especially sort of uh, trans women of color often uh, feel the effects of toxic masculinity um, most direly and so if people are looking to donate to someplace i think that that's a great place to start yes give your cash they're a great organization and they also i love that they're they hire people and they pay them well i keep like seeing i follow their instagram and i keep being like they're hiring and i'm like my god this is like 
a living wage. Imagine. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so it's great. Yeah. They're doing really good stuff. Uh, yeah. So that's great. And yeah, I think this is good. Like for any men listening to this, you know, like we're not like no one expects you to just organically figure out how to stop behaving. Like there are mm-hmm. resources online and not even just online. It's like you are not the first person to experience this mm-hmm. and you're not the first person to want to change. And so like there are resources for you to help you unlearn these behaviors. So, you know, like we say you have a responsibility to do it, but not all totally by yourself. (laughs) That doesn't make sense, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's, those are kind of my things too. Like, I think it's important to know what toxic masculinity looks like because um, there are a lot of like, you know, goofy stereotypes that are honestly true a lot of times, but you know, Mm -hmm. it's just like, okay, someone going to the gym or someone like being a bro, obviously there's nothing wrong with that Mm -hmm. (laughs) like inherently at all and i think like it can sometimes allow us like the stereotypes of of toxic masculinity can sometimes allow us to miss toxic masculinity when it's just as impactful and just as bad but it's much quieter you know Mm -hmm. like Mm -hmm. i think like i I, like i've been in a room with like all men and maybe wanted to cry or maybe want to be upset or get angry and i feel like i can't or i feel like they don't want me to and that feels like toxic masculinity like not being allowed to express my emotions when they all are because my emotion is sad and theirs Mm -hmm. is angry you know Mm -hmm. or just like like you know sexual encounters that women have with men like that you know just understanding that toxic masculinity i think can also be very quiet and Mm -hmm. can just come in the very small behaviors of men sometimes and kind of recognizing that will allow you to call it out if you feel comfortable you certainly mm-hmm. don't have to if you're not in like a safe environment to do it but also just understand like okay so here's how this is actually like impacting my life and here's how it's impacting my friends and all that stuff and it's not mm-hmm. just like someone screaming you know yeah. or yeah. like someone screaming in a store or something mm-hmm. where you're like okay this is obviously it so I don't know. Just like I was just thinking about like, what are all the quiet ways that we see toxic masculinity and and how they impact us? And and it's just one more step towards Mm -hmm. positive change, I think. Yeah, it's like it exists on a spectrum, right? Like these behaviors like or like it's all cancer. Right. But like some forms of cancer are more serious than than other forms of cancer. But cancer, Mm -hmm. no matter what, sucks. Right. Yeah. yeah. We still want to cure (laughs) cancer, period. Yeah. 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 And I think like in conversations with my female friends, it's I like when people tell me like, oh, you shouldn't really make excuses for that. Like, and I think it's nice to talk when you're with women uh, uh, like or people that identify as non-binary, like people who it's like, hey, men actually aren't supposed to behave like this. And like, Mm -hmm. I hear you accepting this as reality and accepting it as okay, And it's actually not. And like in a loving way. Right. You know, like Mm -hmm. don't feel like you have to put up with this behavior. But I appreciate that when my friends are like, like if I'm talking about some interaction I had with any guy, even a stranger, you know, Mm -hmm. just kind of like writing it off. I appreciate when people are like, no, that's not okay. That's not acceptable behavior. No, that was some bullshit. Yeah. Yes, exactly. And just being like, oh, I'm just so used to men doing this. And I'm so used to toxic masculinity that I like read into it and I'm like oh maybe I shouldn't be upset about this or whatever and Mm -hmm. so it's nice to encourage people to be like no you are allowed to be upset and obviously other men too like other men are impacted by by toxic masculinity from Mm -hmm. men you know so being like hey your guy friend this is not how you should interact with your friend (laughs) you know like Mm -hmm. you are allowed to compliment your friend and not have him act like you are weird for doing it like you know or or like accuse you of being gay right yes oh my god it's so weird. It's so I, I wrote about this earlier. Like, it's so funny to hang out with women who are just so like, oh, my God, you are so beautiful and you look absolutely amazing. And like, oh, you have this audition tomorrow. You're absolutely going to crush it. You're just the funniest person I've ever met. And then it's like, I think men have such a harder time with that. And like, mm-hmm. don't as freely give compliments because they feel that internalized. Like, if I give a compliment to another man, that means I'm attracted to him and I'm gay. And it's like, mm-hmm. whoa, <laughs> like, my like, God. Oh, we have a lot. We have a lot to unpack here. Yes. But yeah. No, <laughs> I know. Yes. But just being like, hey, this behavior is actually associated with toxic masculinity and it's mm-hmm. not okay. I think mm-hmm. it helps us all to recognize it you know yeah 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 no i like that it gives us another filter through which to view like our own reactions to to the world right yeah it, that's a yeah. good way to put it yeah. just cut out everything i said and put that in no 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 no, 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 no i'm just kidding that. <laughs> but i was like that's exactly what i meant yeah yeah <laughs> um okay great great tips great um great stuff and then just wanted to give people um sort of before we get to the the final final segment um 
like ideas about where people can learn more articles that we found helpful or like things that that um, we think people should check out. Um, for me, uh, there was an article in The Advocate by uh, Tracy E. Gilchrist or Gilchrist. I think it's Gilchrist. Um, it's and it primer. was just like, huh? It's, it's premier. It, oh, oh, it's oh, oh my god oh no i said the wrong word <laughs> what did you do we have to it's start over it doesn't exist okay hello thanks for coming i'll host i'll host okay. this time great, great great we'll just start at the top yeah. <laughs> tracy uh e gilchrist article in the advocate i found it really helpful as like a like a summation of what we mean when we're talking about toxic masculinity and then it also had like citations to a lot of other resources which i thought were were really helpful um, there's this organization called Promundo, which is doing a lot of work around um, uh, sort of uh, creating uh, educational opportunities, particularly, I think, for young men to unlearn some of this behavior. So I'll include a link to that organization. And I think that they have some good sort of like research and then also like kind of take home activities as well. And then finally, I know that we haven't really um, talked about it at all, but um Ta-Nehisi Coates um, book, Between the World and Me, while masculinity isn't sort of like the focus of the book, I do think that the way that he talks about his youth and growth is like a beautifully sort of like poetic account of his experience with the intersections of race, class and masculinity. And I listened to the audiobook um, when I was going on a road trip and I highly recommend it. I just thought it was it was um, it's a really interesting uh, sort of perspective and also drove home a lot of the realities um, for how masculinity is, uh, particularly in, the, in like Western context, is defined by sort of like this white archetypal ideal, but then discusses how um, men of color sort of, uh, in his experience, like navigated this ideal um, in his youth. Um, which I thought was really interesting. Yeah, that's mm -hmm. that's great. And then Kate, sorry, I have to plug my computer in before I. <laughs> no, that's okay. <laughs> Give it for Okay. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> no, Lily. Thank you. I like got my water, got my coffee. I was like, I'm all ready to go. And then I saw my computer was dying and I was like, that's what I forgot to do. <laughs> yeah, it made me look at my battery and like, so um, who's Lily? Oh, my God. Who's Lily? Lily is my cat who, imme who immediately jumped up on my chair as soon as I vacated it. Oh. And she's very sweet. And she's on the pod. Lily, yeah. what do you think about toxic masculinity? Does it affect you at all? I don't think so. Bye-bye. <laughs> Bye-bye. Yeah. yeah. She's two and a half, almost three. Aww. And I love her so much. And I can't pet you right now, Lily. I'm so mm -hmm. sorry. I probably could handle it, but it's also hot. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, it's getting warm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. She's been playing with toys and uh, yeah. Well, Lily recommended some really great resources. Okay, uh, for, cool. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, the two that I had on here. Um, one is a book I read a few years ago. It's great. She's Not There, A Life in Two Genders by Jennifer Finney Boylan. It's a very interesting book about a woman who transitioned mm -hmm. um, from male to female in her like 40s and had a family mm -hmm. had children and so a lot of it is like about family dynamics but a lot of it's also just someone who is like suddenly in their 40s and now presenting as a different gender and how all of her interactions with people changed and the, i remember the one thing was like she was like before i transitioned i would go to a sports bar and the bartender would like talk about this game with me and kind of in a way of like we both our fans are both watching the game and then she was like after it's transitioned i would go to a bar and the bartender would explain the game to me and explain mm. sports to me and she mm -hmm. was like i like sports still <laughs> like yeah. you know and just like just like and she also said that she noticed that thing that women do where mm -hmm. we do this at the end of every sentence and she we was like up. i started doing just that the, yeah we go just up. a little bit yeah like we're asking a question and she was like i've never spoken like this before in my life like what is happening and just so uh, like a very interesting as someone who like was able to see like this mm -hmm. is how women get treated differently in society um and so it's a really it's a great book yeah um, and then also how like you <clears throat> absorb those cultural messages and then start to behave and perform like the gender right yes and like she's a professor and she was like i always told my female students to never ever do that like and i know that's how i talk too you know but she was yeah. just like you're not asking a question you're making a statement don't 
don't lilt your sentence like you're asking a question. And then she was like, and then I immediately started doing it. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. you know, and I thought that that was so interesting. And yeah, it's a great book. Her like family stayed intact. And so a lot of it is like her and her wife going through that together, too. It's mm-hmm. just a really good book. Um, I will. I want to read that. Thank you for yeah, the recommendation. Good. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, and then the other thing I want to recommend is more is more light, I guess. Uh, Crazy Ex-Girlfriend is a great mm-hmm. show. Um, it's all on Netflix and a lot of, again, kind of like between the world and me, like it's not the main focus of the show, but mm-hmm. a lot of male characters are just like people who have been content not dealing with their emotions. And then the main character, Rebecca, kind of like changes like through the plot, essentially forces them to like reckon with all this stuff. And um, it's just a really fun show. But yeah, that's a that's a pretty big theme of it is like mm-hmm. men having not dealt with their emotions for a very very long time assuming that's just how they're going to be for the rest of the, their life and then they kind of have like emotional reckonings um and it's it's very fun it's i mean it's like a heavy mental health show um mm-hmm. so you know be prepared <laughs> but yeah. it's also all she like writes songs in her head so it's all yeah. songs and music and stuff too it's very very fun it's a good okay. show yeah and i think was this the one that where we talked earlier and you were like the men only know how to talk to each other in sports metaphors <laughs> yes there's a song called sports analogies and they're okay. like it's the only way we can relate to each other it's the only way our dads allowed us to relate to them it's yeah. the only way we could talk to our dads <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and like they sing the song and then they look to the stage desperately and their two dads are there and they like begrudgingly give them a round of applause and they're like thank you <laughs> oh okay i have to it's watch that fun. okay yeah. okay yeah um all right. Awesome. Thanks so much for that. And then uh, I feel like we we get to this point at the end of every episode where it's like, whew, we've talked about some some heavy shit, right? Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. Uh, we've talked about a lot of shit that matters. And so we're going to close with the segment um, called uh, shit that legit doesn't matter um, and just ask a fun question. And so our our um, our question for today, as you're you're going to Alaska next week, so excited! Mm-hmm. I can't wait to hear how it goes. Oh, and thank I'll, you. And I'll meet you there, obviously. Yes, I'll right? see you there. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> so, like, as travel is beginning to open up again uh, this year, like, what is your like airport airport like routine, or like, what are your like travel must haves? I guess. Yeah. Okay, mm-hmm. great question. I think a travel must have I can think of is I got myself a nice um like toiletry bag that mm-hmm. actually fits everything that I want to fit in there because I don't know about you but I've definitely gone on trips where I've just had to like have my toothbrush and razor like loose in my bag and then mm-hmm. I'm like trying to get everything unpacked and I don't know where anything is so that was a nice like splurge mm-hmm. you uh-huh. know and not like a plastic one or you know mm-hmm. no shade to a plastic toiletry bag but yeah. you know well, whatever works for you. I've definitely traveled with people who just have it all in like a straight up plastic bag. And I'm like, yeah, mm-hmm. good for you. Looks yeah. like you have everything that you need. Mm-hmm. But that was nice too. Um, and I don't know, I like to get to the airport early enough to maybe get like a fun lunch somewhere, like fast Ooh. food or, uh-huh. you know, a little treat or something like that. Um, and one time I got to the airport, ordered food. It took so long and I had to take it fully on the plane. And I was eating like chicken dumplings and French fries on the airplane <laughs> next to this guy. And I was like, sorry. And I like wolfed it down so fast because I was like, I didn't want to be that person. Yeah. And I was like, this was not an enjoyable food experience. I should have not, I not, I did not need to do this. Yeah. <laughs> Just could have sound like a bag of chips or something like that. Yeah. And then oh, but chicken, chicken, chicken dumplings sound great. Yeah. They were very good. It, it was like this place at the very end of the terminal in Midway, mm-hmm. but yeah. And then for the plane, I love a good podcast. Sometimes I like mm-hmm. to read, but just kind of falling asleep and listening to yeah. a podcast um, is kind of my my go to. Mm-hmm. 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 Yeah. I like that. So I think for me, like mm-hmm. I haven't really traveled in quite a long time, but I do feel like. Right. Um, like I never considered myself like an anxious traveler, really, because like I don't like get anxiety about like the plane or like waiting in line or like any of that shit. Yeah. But I do think that I get anxiety about like making sure that I have absolutely everything like for entertainment purposes on a flight. Right. Like because I can't sleep like it Mm. just it doesn't happen for me. And so I'm always like, wait, have I downloaded enough movies? I want options. How many movies have I downloaded or how many episodes have (laughs) I downloaded? Like, am I going to feel like watching this or listening to this or like. um, So, yeah, I feel like I get. Like I, I over index on entertainment. For, for I the don't flight. blame you though. <laughs> yeah. I don't blame you because the alternative is staring at the seat 
in front yeah. of you for an hour and like losing your mind. And it's yeah, like, I I'm can not be alone. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not going to be an asshole who tries to talk to my neighbor, right? Like no. on the flight. No, leave me alone. Be the person. Yeah. <laughs> I used to do that when I was 10 years old and mm-hmm. precocious. And now I'm like, everyone get away from me and leave me alone. Oh, this mm-hmm. woman, I hope she never hears this, but mm-hmm. I, I'm a big like, I will sit in the middle seat if it's towards the front mm-hmm. when I fly alone because I don't care. And then I can get off the plane faster. Yeah. So I'm often in like row six or seven, just in the middle seat. And this woman, I was like, Hey, uh, is anyone sitting there, you know, in the middle? And she was like, no, let me try to get up. And she was buckled in. And I was like, why are you buckled in? There are like 70 people that still need to get on the plane. You mm-hmm. inevitably will have to stand. Why'd you buckle your seatbelt? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and mm-hmm. then she went to go undo her seatbelt and she kind of snapped it on her thumb and she was like, oh, ouch. Mm-hmm. And she just like sat there for a second. And I was like, and in my head, I was like, are you going to get up soon? Because there is a long line of people behind us that need to sit down. And I was like, I'm sorry, you hurt your thumb. But also like, I, I know I'm an anxious person where I would be like, yes, I'll immediately get out of your way. And I'm so mm-hmm. sorry. And I was like, mm-hmm. okay, this woman hurt her thumb. I can give her a few seconds. Like no one's going to die if it takes her an extra 30 seconds to get up. But I just was like, when that was happening, I was like, God, I wish I would have asked to sit next to somebody else because this woman is like making a production of standing up. And she goes, let me see if I can get out. And I was like, let me see. What? I was like, why would you not? What? Why would you not be able to get out? I don't know. I'm, I was reading too much into it, but I was like, I picked an annoying person to try to sit next to on an airplane. And then there were a couple of times where she tried to talk to me. She was like, I hear a cat back there and I didn't say anything. But I was like, it's probably because there's a cat on the airplane. Like, <laughs> I just was like not in the mood for it at all. <laughs> I was like, we're not interacting. The no. other girl next to me, we didn't speak to each other at all. It was great. We're best great. friends now. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. We follow each other on social media and don't yeah. comment on and each I'll other's posts. And I'll never talk to her. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> no, I feel that. I, I was on a plane to New Zealand um, a few years, a couple of years ago. And like the guy next to me definitely like kept trying to make something happen. Not in like a creepy, like sexual way i think just in like a, a chatty way and i was just yeah. like absolute absolutely not i am like headphones in one word responses and being like no please do not think that you can oh. talk to me on this 13 hour long no <laughs> oh my god i don't want to make a friend no. for 13 hours i want to finish a book <laughs> yeah, exactly exactly oh, I, then it's that yeah. thing of like you're just like okay i guess we're locked in now and we are active like you have that active energy the whole time of the flight mm-hmm. and it's like oh that mm-hmm. would that would i would hate that yeah. <laughs> so so maybe we've both aligned that our travel must-haves are like quiet uh seat partners yeah <laughs> you and i would get along well i think yeah. we would not speak to each other the whole yeah. time and that would be great okay cool, cool, cool. <laughs> uh, well this has been wonderful audrey thanks so much for for joining the show today and doing all this research i know it's not a light lift but um i feel like we talked about a lot of fun stuff today I think so, too. And thanks for having me. It was super interesting. And I got to learn a lot, too. Um, And I had a really great time. Okay, cool. Well, enjoy Alaska. I'll meet you there. And then also we're getting drinks later. So I'll see you soon. I'll see you in like an hour. Okay. Okay. Sounds good. Bye. (laughs) Bye. Equally Funny is produced by me, Kate Rogan, in collaboration with each episode's co-host. Our intro music is by Tim Durier, and our cover art is by Rachel Nevers. Episodes are edited and mixed by Area Code. If you're looking to get in touch, reach out to equallyfunnypodcast at gmail.com. You can also find and follow us on Instagram and Twitter at equallyfunnypod. Equally Funny is a part of the Trident Network. To learn more about our videos, live shows, and other podcasts, please visit thetridentnetwork.com.